Good afternoon, everyone. Librarian Diane Binanchi here from the Cote St. Louis Public Library joining you virtually. Today we have another great program for you. The library is thrilled to have the opportunity to host a conversation with international best-selling author Armando Lucas Correa. Thank you very much, Armando, for taking the time to speak with me today all the way from New York, and to Natasha at Simon & Schuster for making this event possible. Thank you also to Andreas at Paragraph Bookstore for collaborating with us on this event. If you want to know how to get your own copy through Paragraph, we will share information at the end and you can ask the librarian. Or if you want to put your name down for today's book, The Night Travelers, <laughs> we welcome you to do so. But you'll be on a wait list. Thank so you. To begin, <laughs> thank you very much, Armando. To begin with, I will share a condensed bio. Armando Lucas Correa is an award-winning journalist, editor, author, and recipient of several awards from the National Association of Hispanic Publications and the Society of Professional Journalism. He is the author of the international bestseller, The German Girl, which is now being published in 13 languages, and perhaps later we'll speak about the fact that the rights have been acquired to perhaps make it into a film. He lives in New York City with his partner and their three children. You can visit his website, armandolucascorea.com. So before we even discuss your latest novel, The Night Travelers, let's briefly speak about your biography. Your prior work experience includes award-winning journalism and editing. Can you tell us a bit about each of these and in what ways they help guide you in novel writing? Uh, I always said that I am a, a, a reader who writes, and I think when you read my novels, you can see my background in a way. Uh, I am a journalist, that's my major. I a critic, uh, I was a theater and dance critic, that was my, my uh, minor in Cuba, and I started my career uh, in theater. And I think you can see also those elements in my in, in my books. Uh, I remember when I started writing about uh, the St. Louis, the MSN St. Louis for the German girl, I was thinking to write uh, like a nonfiction book. I was a journalist working for the Herald and I started collecting when I arrived in US in 1991, all the documents, book, menus, diary from the the tragedy of the MSS St. Louis and all the Jewish refugees that they were de denied entrance in Cuba, Canada, and United States in 1939. And I was thinking, I'm going to write a nonfiction book. I'm going to interview the survivors, the academic. Uh, but in 2005, I have my daughter, Emma, my first uh, child. And everything changed. My my point of view uh, for the tragedy, and I think Emma gave voice to both characters in the German Girl uh, for Anna and Hannah, and I became a novelist. Uh, I remember um, when I published a book about how I have Emma in search of Emma, and all the process through a sort a surrogate mother, you know, IVF, and my an editor from Simon Schuster, you know, she reads in Spanish and the book was published in Spanish it says, Armando, you have to write a novel. And, and then I said, uh, Johanna, all the writers has a, a novel, you know, uh, behind the bed. And 
I, I show her all my investigation about the St. Louis and I sign a contract with her in the next three days, you know. That's a little my background. I'm sorry, you know, I live in New York and you can, you can uh, hear all the sounds. And... No problem. Uh, congratulations, Armando, on another masterfully written and very poignant novel. I'm referring, of course, to The Night Travelers, this one, which I was holding right there. A big thank you once again to Simon and & Schuster and to Natasha, which uh, I saw her just briefly at the beginning. So now I will share a synopsis of the book for those listening in today. Berlin, 1931. Allie Keller, a, ta a talented young poet, is alone and scared when she gives birth to a mixed race daughter she names Lilith. As the Nazis rise to power, Allie knows she must keep her baby in the shadows to protect her against Hitler's deadly ideology of Aryan purity. But as she grows, it becomes more and more difficult to keep Lilith hidden, so Ali sets in motion a dangerous and desperate plan to send her daughter across the ocean to safety. Havana, 1958. Now an adult, Lilith has few memories of her mother and childhood in Germany. Besides, she's too excited for her future with her beloved Martin, a Cuban pilot with strong ties to the Batista government. But as the flames of the revolution ignite, Lilith and her newborn daughter, Nadine, find themselves at a terrifying crossroads. Berlin, 1988. As a scientist in Berlin, Nadine is dedicated to ensuring the dignity of the remains of all those who were murdered by the Nazis. Yet she spent her entire lifetime avoiding the truth about her own family's history. It takes her daughter, Luna, to encourage Nadine to uncover the truth about the choices her mother and grandmother made to ensure the survival of their children. And it will fall to Luna to come to terms with the shocking betrayal that changes everything she thought she knew about her family's past. Separated by time but unified by sacrifice, four women embark on journeys of self-discovery and find themselves to be living testaments to the power of motherly love. Sorry, that was a lot. Yeah. Ar <laughs> Armando, could you please share a little bit with the audience how you became an expert, if this is what I read, on the MS St. Louis in 1939 and ultimately ended up writing three novels all with ties to it. So I'm referring, of course, to The German Girl, The Daughter's Tale, and finally, The Night Travelers. Yeah. Uh, uh, the St. Louis, the MS in St. Louis, uh, was part of my childhood. I remember... Uh, my grandmother, uh, you know, fighting with my grandfather around May every year that Cuba is going to pay very dearly is what they did to these Jewish refugees uh, for the next 100 years. You know, my, my grandmother was a little crazy. And, you know, when I asked, uh, she, 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 all, she said and, and that she was pregnant with my mom when the boat arrived in Havana. And at the same time, you know, she's a daughter of a Spanish immigrant who arrived at the beginning of the 20th century. And I think she she was desperate reading on the newspaper. And 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 every time that we went to the harbor in Havana, uh, in front of the, you know, uh, looking at the boats, it, she said, oh, my God, you know, I don't know, 40 years or 50 years ago, uh, I saw the biggest boat in this country, like the Titanic. She was all, all the time talking about the St. Louis. When I went to college, 
I tried to find all the documentation related to the St. Louis. I had access to the National Archive. Uh, and in Cuba, you know, the librarian came to me and said, oh, in a whispering, you know, because it's Cuba. Uh, oh, Armando, we used to have like a, a three boxes labeled with the St. Louis and all of them disappeared during the 70s. And nobody knew about the, the St. Louis in Cuba. When I arrived in, 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 in the US, I started collecting all this information and became a kind of obsession. And, and the St. Louis, if you read, you know, the Doris Tale, in this case, the night traveler, I know the for the German girl is the, the main is the main subject for the plot. But here is like a leitmotif. You can you can see the the St. Louis in the Doris Tale and in, in the Night Traveler. And I, I am a kind of writer who has spent a lot of time doing research and I, I, I am obsessed with facts. And I'm gonna put an example and sometime maybe the reader don't care, but uh, there is a scene in the Night Travelers that they're going to a theater in Havana during the fifties. And that night they drive to Varadero, you know, a beach. And the next morning, they're listening to a, a radio kind of soap opera. And that was very famous in Cuba. And I need to find, and something happened, big happened in this, to these people. But I need to find exactly which play they saw at the theater. And it has to be the same play that it was at the, you know, because the, the radio was live listen to the anecdote and it has to be exactly the timing and the name and it's paying month trying to find all this information and because i write fiction but i want you to know all the readers that the the background of the history they are real you know when i'm talking about the nazis or the cuba revolution uh Behind that, there is a lot of investigation. That's the reason I have my bibliography at the end of the book, and you can see all the books that I consulted. And I don't mention the travel or the interviews, but I, and they know that I am a journalist. I am very accurate with the facts, and for me, that's important. It's fiction, you know. You you can have an emotional connection with the characters, but the the background and the history is 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 real, you know. Thank you. Your rich and detailed descriptions of the various timelines in your novel really enhance the reader's experiences as we find ourselves immersed in each of these spaces and locales throughout the different time periods. How did you go about conveying not only geographic locale, but also the atmospheric elements to the reader when tackling each of these women's stories? Yeah. Uh, I remember when the, the New York Times wrote a review about the Dorestel. Uh, it was a great review, but she said in, 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 at the beginning that my style, my, my voice, my style, it was atmospheric. And when she said uh, atmospheric, because I am a writer, you are feeling that this is a compliment or this is, but I, I realized that it's true. My, uh, when I'm writing, I need to see the scene, the high ceiling, the light, when the character move, where they are going. I, 
I, I am obsessed with the smell, the texture. And uh, for, with the door, the door Estelle, for example, I spend a lot of time because uh, at the beginning of the book, there is this bookseller during the burning of the books in Nazi Germany that, you know, they're gonna burn all her books and she's have to save uh, her favorite book, one of them. And she saw all this book burning and I studied a lot the smell of the book because, you know, the books from the 1939, they're not the same like here, you know. Sometimes they have uh, leather covers, uh, silk, uh, a different kind of paper or glue, and I study the smell of almond when you're burning a book, and 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 for me that's important. And there is a, 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 a one of my favorite scene in the Night Travelers is the moment that uh, because of the uh, Nuremberg uh, ra racial law, you know, the she she need to uh, uh, Lily, you know, the protagonist mm -hmm. had to pass a test, and if they said that if you're impure, you you know you are you are not smart or intelligent. That's one of the reasons you have to be sterilized. You know, one of the many reasons. And she can she she want to demonstrate that Lily is really smart. And they go to that scene, and it's like a movie. You know, Ali is in the back at the end with the. A light is Lily with the doctors and the space and the cold. I always constructing my scene in a in, in this kind of way. I think I am obsessed with all these elements. It's not only about the perfect paragraph or or the dialogue. I need my my atmosphere when I'm building and a scene and a character too. So you did a great job at this, Armando. And I imagine once you get into discussions, if you do about making a television series, I can see you speaking to the directors. No, the lamp has to be this lamp. It has to be like this. <laughs> well, we, we, we signed a contract with Hollywood Gantt Productions uh, to develop a series with a German girl. And... I hope by the end of 2023, we're going to start in production. But I remember doing all this meeting for the producers. And when I showed my research, because for example, for Alma, one of the characters in The German Girl, she's this rich Jewish German uh, traveling in the St. Louis, arriving in Havana. I have all her clothes and perfume and in pictures. You know, I have like a, uh, uh, when I'm writing, I, I look like a crazy person. I have all these images around my office. I have all the chapter in the floor. And even I don't mention the brand of the dress or describe the dress, but I need to have it in my, in my mind when I'm writing. And they, they were impressed when they, they saw all the material that, that I have. And some of them, I, I buy it. You know, I, I, I need to have postcard and the, the menu of the St. Louis or or the music uh, music program from the Marcus, you know, uh, the black uh, German musician in the German. I need to see the the bar and the club when they perform. And I I never traveled before the the book is done because I I I do my research, I see all this picture, I read the books, and when I finish, 
I'm going to the places to check that I'm everything is accurate. Because at, because at the same time, and it happened with the German girl, the German girl is the point of view of a little girl telling the story, and uh, yeah, and it's the voice of my grandmother. It's a story that my grandmother told me, and it's like a fairy tale. If I do the research, I interview the the survivors, it's going to be a different story. And I, I interview them after I finish. And I right now, we have one survivor in in, in Toronto, and she's she, I call her the Mexican of the San Luis because, you know, when they were rejected by... Cuba and Canada, they were returned to Holland and they spent, you know, years in a concentration camp. They survived and they ended in Mexico and she married in Mexico. She had their children and now, you know, her son is teaching in University of Toronto and she's living in Toronto and she's a Canadian citizen. And all these survivors, when I presented my book in New York, even in Canada, they are with me. And they are right now. They are my friends. We're always, you know, sending email, talking over the phone. I, I need to have all this character with me when I'm writing. In terms of writing style, you chose to navigate between separate timelines as we get to understand each of the women from one generation to the next on a deeper level. At the end of the novel, however, the timeline switches at an increasingly rapid pace. Why did you opt for this technique? Yeah, uh, in the German girl, it was back and forth all the time. You know, it was a uh, present and the past, the present and the past, Hannah and Anna. Uh, with the, the night traveler, I want to do something more uh, linear, you know, like uh, like if you are writing the even it's 1939 is the present for me. I, I want you to feel that that is you know is today and tomorrow and you're feeling in a, a that you're reading the present. But I use going back maybe 10 years before to understand what's happening. The book opened when Alice having birth uh, Lily and she's dreaming that maybe her daughter is going to be dead. And she, when you finish the book, the, the chapter, you are asking, what is the, what is a mother can feel that way? And then you have to go back uh, five years ago to understand that feeling. And I use that in the whole book that you, know, you are always reading the kind of present when you are reading. To understand what's happening, maybe I transport you for a couple of years before. The, the big jump is that it's in the last part of the book because you have to understand what happened with Ali. And then you go 75 years ago. And for me, that's my favorite chapter. When you, you know, because, you know, you need the past to understand the present. I use that technique for the whole book. Yeah. The historical research included in your novels is thorough and I would think essential. This being said, uh, we talked about it a little bit, but why did you choose to approach um, these as nonfiction? Uh, sorry, why did you, <laughs> the opposite. I meant, why did you 
uh, choose to use fiction rather than nonfiction for these yeah. stories? That's that's a good question. And many times I ask it to myself because I'm a journalist. But I realize that if you go to a library or you go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., you can find a lot, a lot of book of the St. Louis. And, and even from the Holocaust, you know, there are a lot of books and studies. And when you are writing fiction, uh, you create an emotional connection with the audience. And I remember when I uh, presented the idea to Simon and Schuster, uh, most of the editor, even they are Jewish, they didn't know about the St. Louis. And with, with the German girl and with my book, I'm trying to bring to life some part of the history that we tend to forget. Uh, it's the case of the St. Louis, it's the case of the, the tragedy of Orador Sublain in, in, in the Dorestel when you know, the Nazis uh, killed uh, over 600 people, mo uh, mothers and with their uh, women, with their children in a church and they burned them alive, you know. And with the night travelers, it's about hygienic and, and how they sterilize, you know, children, uh, girls at seven years old and, and boys when they, are, they were seven. Uh, and with the girl, it was x-rays and with the boy, it was the, the vasectomy. And, and it's always easy to say that Hitler killed over six million Jewish, but, but when you are talking about the tragedy and mentioned that part of the tragedy, uh, Cuba, United States and Canada were responsible too, you tend to put it on the side. And because for the, the tragedy of the St. Louis, it took like 70 years to make a kind of apology in US, for example. It, it was during Barack Obama presidency that they invited the survivors of the St. Louis and they did the apology in the, in the Congress. And I, by the way, I held the office of the prime minister Trudeau before the pandemic when they did the apology in the House of Commons. And I helped them to invite seven of the children of the St. Louis. And he, you know, I was with the prime minister, with the children there, but it took like uh, many decades to do something like that. And that's the reason, because even in the Orador Surplain tragedy, when they, uh, it was the order to burn alive all these women and children, it was from the Nazi, but the, uh, you know, the people, you know, the, the, the soldiers, they were French soldiers the, from the Alsacia part of France. And, you know, it's, it's better to put it on the side too. It's, 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 it's a big, it's, it's a shame. And, and, and when Trudeau read, the, the prime minister read the apology in the House of Commons, I saw a lot of, you know, politicians crying there in shame, you know. So Armando, for those who don't know the story, can you recap a little bit what the story of the MS St. Louis is exactly? Yeah, yeah. The, in, in 1939, uh, 
after the Nuremberg Race Law, uh, Hitler tried to get rid of all the Jewish people. You know, they have a huge problem in Germany because uh, a big part of the community it was integrated uh, in the society. Most of them, they were blonde, blue eyes. Mm -hmm. The only way you can realize they were Jewish is because of the last name. And it was a big persecution during those years. For the people uh, who, you know, they, they, for the St. Louis, it was in May 1939 after the Crystal Nash that all these people realized that they need to leave Germany. And they wait until the last minute because there were no religious, uh, they were white, and they were rich, very rich, and they thought they can survive Hitler. And at that moment, the only country who gave them visa or permit of disembark, it was Cuba. They pay a fortune to travel in the St. Louis, and it was 937 uh, refugees. And when they arrived in Cuba, Cuba denied the entrance and the president at that moment required another $500 per passenger. That you think is a small you know, kind of money. It's Not a lot at of that time. Yeah. At that time, it was a fortune. And remember, all these people have to get rid of the properties and the bank account. They only have cameras, a lot of cameras that works in the St. Louis and uh, jewelry, but they don't have that, the money. And even the agency, the, uh, the Jewish refugee agency helping all these refugees from Europe, they offered to the president $50,000. And they, he said, no, uh, they, they wait a week in, in the Bay of Havana until they left, they went to Miami, they tried, you know, they sent letters to Roosevelt and they denied the entrance in, and most of them they have visa uh, uh, for Canada and Mackenzie, the prime minister at that moment denied the entrance. When they were in the middle of the ocean, they found refugee uh, in France, Belgium, Holland and Great Britain. Of course, they only went, that they survived the war, it was the UK refugees. The rest, they ended in concentration camp. Some of them survived the concentration camp, but it was a, a really, a really sad part of the story because before it was, you know, a boat with 40 refugees, 20 refugees, but never 937 refugees, only 28 passengers disembarked in Havana because they pay the $500 or they have a, they had another kind of a visa to disembark in Cuba. I think it's surprising to understand that these people all had the proper paperwork and they were expected to just yeah. arrive and... No, uh, and, and Daniel, the, the only, the other thing is they, they have the permit of disembark, but all of the refugees, all of them, they have visa for United States and Canada, but they have to wait some time, five years. You know, Cuba was a transit to go uh, waiting, you know, because at In that between. point, I remember, I think United States only was given like a 20,000 
not accepting 20,000 per year, and the quota in May was already, you know. Already had been reached. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It saddens me to know also as a Canadian, we always think we're the nice ones that Canada also did not. <laughs> and, and, and doing the, the research for the, the St. Louis, I found an article about a, a, a a black a German boy that ended in the U.S. Army after the liberation, you know? and and I was surprised about the, his story. You know? And I started studying about the black German. It was a community of over sixty thousand, and you never mentioned because you know if you compare with the million that they killed. But uh, all of them, they were German. In, in most of them, they were, you know, a, for a, a German woman, a white and a black, sometime from the colonies and or the from the uh, the, the first world, you know, they they came from France. Some of the the soldiers, and it was sixty thousand, and and the Hitler even when they created the law, he said that. That's a, they never, you know, mentioned the, the name a black German. A German is never a black and it's, it's part of the law. And then they use a very pejorative uh, term, Michelin, that is a kind of misrace. And, and that's the story of Lily. And, and I remember the day my children, Anna and Lucas turned seven, I started writing a Lily's story. And the number seven became an obsession for me. You know? And I remember one of the sentences uh, about the birthday of Lily and writing about that. And right now, my, my children, you know, MI17 and Anna and Lucas, they are 13. But uh, this is, okay, you know, this is not out of fiction and it's not my story, but, but I think uh, it's my children have a very, use influence in everything that I, that I, and this is about the past, but, but the, you know, history repeat itself. And, and when I finished writing the night travelers, we were living through the crisis of the abandoned children in the Mexico and US border, families separated, and children in prison in, in makeshift cages. And I remember while covering this crisis as a journalist, hearing many times, how the women who send, send their children, the young children alone were questioned and condemned. Uh, going to Miami and even talking to other journalists, they're always condemning uh, these women. And what choices does a mother or father make in order to save their child? And that became my center of the novel. And I, I always explain that I thought of the parents who sent their children, some 10,000 to England during the kinder transport program to save them from the Nazi death camp. You know? Or the more of 14,000 children that Cuban parents sent alone to the US in the Operation Peter Pan to protect them from the communist party. And you know, history tends to repeat itself all the time. In terms of the women in your novel, Ali, Lilith, Nadine, and Luna, which did you enjoy, enjoy writing the most and why? Uh, Luna at the end is the hope. 
And I, I never thought I'm going to have that kind of character. You know, at the beginning, it was Ali and, and, and Lily. But for me, Lilith is very special. And, and I, I was writing this book around, uh, and, and she's a real night traveler. And, and even all the characters travel at night, but she's the night traveler. And in one moment, uh, I was thinking, uh, Lily having suffering too much, and maybe she has to end it, her life by herself. That was in my mind all the time, you know, because how many pains you can survive. But at the same time, uh, you can be alive with the hope that your child is alive. And then I created all this story with, with Nadine and the, the doll and the name. And because we're victim of the past and the past is always with us. And when I, I, I'm talking to my children all the time, they think about the Holocaust that did happen like 3000 years, but it was yesterday for my generation. And when you mention something like the, maybe the Operation Peter Pan, because you know, we're Cuban, and, or the World Trade Center, you know, the Twin Tower that I use, you know, the, that tragedy that I use in the German girl, that's, a, that's the, a, the past for them, the real past. I mean, I'm trying to mix all this story because even with, you know, the, the Holocaust ended uh, many years ago, you know that it can happen again. And, it, and, and the democracy is pending from, you know, a very thin. And, and, and I think this is the reason that I obsess with all this story. I, I am a refugee at the same time. You know, I left my country in 1991. With, I left my family back, my books, my photos. My grandmother died when I was in Miami. And it's a story of the humanity at the same time. And, and I, I want people to read my books and you can enjoy it. You can identify with the character. I want you to know that there's always hope, but we're living in a very, very complicated world, you know, and, and this work, uh, you need to do something. Uh, I remember when I was in Australia during the launch of the German girl in 2017, that someone in the audience uh, asked me if my novel was inspired by the refugee crisis. At that time, 10 of thousands of Syrian refugees were crossing borders in Europe, trying to find a country that would take them in. And I said, no, I had finished writing my book like two years prior in 2015. Uh, I explained that I am a refugee. And then I realized that all my novels in their own way examine the fear we have of the other. The one who has a different skin color or believing in a different God speaks uh, with a different accent, has a different sexual orientation. And the day we accept and respect our differences, that day I am convinced the world will be in a better place. And
Agreed, Armando. I talk too much. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's good. We want to hear from you. Um, a character that I found a little bit more difficult to identify with was uh, Nadine. Um, there's sort of like a detachment in that comes across when I read Nadine. Yeah. How, how did you develop her character? Yeah, think about it. Nadine was abandoned because Lily was seven years old when she left. She's going to be eight when she left Berlin and she had a history with her. Even for protection, children tend to put, you know, their memories on the side or behind. And, and for Nadine, it was, you know, she was growing up, growing up in a family that it was uh, strangers for them, for her. Even it was her mother and uh, her father, but it was a very, you know, they were weird people. And that was based in real people, you know, the character from the, you know, the guard from the Nazi camp, the stopping horse that, yeah. uh, that was real. And, and Nadine tried to, it, for her, it was hard to understand the decision for her mother. And at the same time, the real mother, the biological mother, and, and she never, never understood her adoptive mother. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, and worse, the father, the father completely, yeah. And she had the opportunity to have Luna and Luna is the one who was gonna uh, bring the past to the present, understand the past. And, and it's not about forgiveness or it's about to understand uh, this, you know, your part of the history. And for Nadine, Nadine was, uh, for me at the beginning, it was more angry than, than you'd see right now. And when she's studying and saving, you know, the, the, when she's in the lab trying to, to say that uh, if you have, and this is, that was real too, uh, all, all this uh, piece of brain for a study from the concentration camp, they all, you know, they chief fight to treat all this part as a human being. And she was angry, of course, you know, it, 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 but you are right. And she's a character that because she was angry and she, she, she doesn't have a past and she doesn't have a family, uh, and she, she doesn't have a face sometimes, you know. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, you can see Ali, you can see Lilith, you can see Luna, but Nadine is a doll. It's a doll with a name, with a... You almost, Nadine needs Luna to... Exactly. To want get to know her whole story. Yeah. Until you have the whole story, you, you are not gonna see nothing. So in this novel, there are many important themes covered. Mother-daughter relationships and intergenerational trauma are addressed. How did you go about researching this aspect and making sure it rings true? Yeah. <clears throat> I think when you are writing, you are not thinking about the facts and the the statistic or your you are telling story in my case you are telling the story the most honest way that you can you know you play with words you're trying to have your perfect paragraph and then 
at the same time you are building uh, all the all the history that there is behind and and sometimes i spend a lot of time uh, and it happens with operation peter pan and sending all these kids with the catholic church to us and at the beginning i have like a 20 pages with those and it ended with only one a scene when a, a Lilith go with a girl to the church. I think it was in the Ash Wednesday, I think it was, uh, uh, and with the priest, and that's it. You, you, you start understanding the story uh, step by step. And I clean, like, you know, I edited uh, 200 pages. I am a kind of writer that I finished my first draft with 300,000 words. And this book ended in 125,000. You know, I am my first editors and I try to control all the time because I know the pace is important. And I know when I am, you know, I, I am putting a lot of information and, and, and complicating the plot and all this character. Uh, I need you to, to have a break sometimes. I understand that. And I and the pace at the end is fast, you know, because it's it's like you are seeing a movie, you are watching a movie, you are open the book and understanding everything. You are, you know, you are having all this character, developing all this character, and then uh, even even when uh, when Luna is it, like a oniric, you know, oniric scene, it's like a dreaming. You don't, you know, she's walking all these streets in Berlin and seeing all these characters at the same time. And then, you know, she starts writing like her grandmother. You know, I am a little crazy when I'm building all <laughs> kind of story. So that's very impressive to me, Armando, and I'm sure to the audience members tuning in that you've you're telling us basically that you've written twice as many words and have shortened it by half. So no. how do you, do you feel sad about these pieces of stories no. that you didn't include? Are you saving them for another book? I, I, I think because I am an editor by myself, you know, I work in a magazine, I been editing for years. When I work with my editor, in this case, Peter Borland, I love when he said, Armando, maybe we need a, and for him, it's like trying to develop something else. And, and when I, I, okay, I finished my draft of my manuscript. I sent it to him. I, I, it was, you know, the deadline for me, they are secret, uh, sacred. And if you want me to still working, because you have to take my novel from me, because I, if not, I can spend another year working on, on the book. And when he said, okay, uh, can you develop a little of this? I can send him 10 pages or 3,000 words uh, when he asked me only for a paragraph. But I know, and I'm very conscious that you have to, uh, you know, you have to be edited. And if not me, I am the kind of editor that, that I listen everybody and I'm trying to do my best and trying to understand, you know, uh, some of the scenes, uh, he wanted to cut, I, I convinced him because I am building Lilith character. And when she dressed like a man, 
to go with her friend to the theater. I maybe it's not part of the exactly the plot. Maybe you can go directly to Varadero and they have made love for the first time. But I think it's it's important to see that Lily during the 40s, she dressed like a man and she went with the theater with uh, her her you know her friends. Uh, because it's not you, you're seeing Lily in, in you know, the, you know, the sad, like a victim, you know, the sad little girl who was sent to Cuba with Jewish family when she was Catholic. You know, she's a strong woman. She, mm-hmm. she wants to build, a, a, you know, a family and, and demonstrate to her mother all the sacrifice that the mother did, that she can become a mother by herself. You know? Continuing with the themes in this novel, there's quite a bit about darkness and light, both literally and figuratively. On the one hand, with the very sad and cruel assessment of Lilith as a Mischling through eugenics, as well as the strength and the power Lilith finds in living in the dark with her mom and later in the shadows in a Cuban library, what surprised you when uh, researching eugenics, or do you want to say a few words yeah. about it? Uh, one of the, my first book that I bought, I think it was writing the the Dorestel. It was this book uh, about eugenics from 1924 uh, that it was written uh, by uh, American doctors in Pasadena, California, and part of my research. I understand that he, that Hitler he was inspired by this book, and he developed all the uh, Nuremberg race law based on these studies from American doctors. And for me, it was I was in shock when I read that. And at the same time, uh, this study and had the original book, the same edition that Hitler had, and that I bought in an auction. Um, UK doctors developed the same theories based on, on these eugenic studies. And I wrote at the end of the book in the note, notes of the author that uh, all this eugenic and sterilization, uh, it was active in many states in here in US. Uh, in Virginia, they did this forced sterilization until 1970, and over 40,000 people. They were, if you read the book, you're in shock. They're testing the skin, the skin color, or the uh, the side of your nose and the distance of your eyes, or the side of the, you know, trying to find the perfection in the rays. And it was, you know, it was a theory developed in. In, for American doctors. And, and for me, I was in shock when I, I read that. And, and when I was talking to my editor at that moment, Johanna Castillo, she said, oh, my, Armando, you have to write this book right now. He said, Johanna, I'm writing the Doris still. <laughs> you know, let me finish <laughs> for years. And because my mind is always, you know, uh, I'm writing right now a, a book that I have to finish by the end of this year. And my mind is developed in another thing is is I enjoy that and I was surprised also not not very happy about it but to learn when I looked a little bit like you probably not to the same extent of, uh, of at eugenics that in Canada as well up into the 1970s 
especially with Aboriginal women, they were being sterilized against their will. So very sad, very sad. Um, Armando, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit about your next project. We heard just a little snippet, but in the meantime, I will ask uh, any of our guests if you have a question to Armando to please put it in the Q&A or the chat. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, I am a lucky writer because all my books, when has been acquired by Samuel and Schuster, you know, I remember for the German girl, it was, I only have written 10 pages. I have been working on the novel for maybe 10 years, but like a, a, a 10 pages that I can show, it was, it was really a couple of words only. And when I finished the daughters, the German girl, my agent uh, sold to another novel. It was the daughter's tell, it was a paragraph, and the night traveler, it was a sentence. And when I finished The Night Traveler, and it was in the middle of the pandemic, and we, we have a house upstate New York, and we spent a year and a half in the middle of the woods with my children, walking from home. I have a lot of time at that moment. And, and I, I wanted to finish a book that I have been uh, writing, and my, uh, it's, it's, it's another gen. Generate. And and my agent and my editor, Armando, you are really good in this. Don't do that. And it, it's a kind of historical thriller, psychologic, you know, it's, it's, it's. but I say, okay, nobody wanted, I want to finish. When I finish, my agent loved it and my editor loved it. And they, it, it, this is the first book that I finished and I sold. And, and, and my, my editor, Peter Boland, said that they wanted to buy another book. And then I sent another two paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw three books, one of them finished. And then the, the one that I have to finish this year, and I've been working on it for three years, the name is What We Once Were. And, and it's, it's going to be the whole 20th century in Cuba. It's going to be inspired in my grandmother. Uh, my mother was born at the beginning of the century. And even is based on her is fiction. And, and she died by the end of the 20th century. And she, she's, she, she went on exiling to New York during the 50s. She was part of the revolution. She, she was disenchanted with the revolution. I'm covering all the visit of the... Uh, the big generation of poet Alan Ginsberg, all of them, they went to Cuba and and this house, it was the center for all these artists. And and I, it's a very special book because now I'm talking about my family and adding and being creative with the family. It's not real, everything. But I enjoy a lot uh, the book and studying different. You know, my grandmother was the first woman who divorced in in Guantanamo, in Cuba. And she was a strong woman. And I have the anecdote, you know, with her in the harbor when the St. Louis arrived. I am playing with the book, you know, in a, little, a lot of work, but I'm very, very excited writing a, a book right now, because I always said that The Night Travelers is the, the more Cuban of all my books because of, of the second act. Because in The German Girl, Cuba is through the eyes of the, uh, Hannah and Alma, two German Jewish that they 
felt isolated in Cuba and live in this big house and they they don't understand the island. But in the second act, in the second act in the night travelers, Lily grow, study, get married, uh, you know, have a child. And she's a Cuban and she looks like a Cuban. Uh, and but this one, you know, what we once were is 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 my Cuban book. <laughs> We're looking forward to it. It sounds fantastic. Now, something came into the chat um, mm. from one of our listeners. And the question is, do you have any book recommendations for those of us who love your books while we wait for the next one? <laughs> okay, a book recommendation. I am reading right now uh, Seven Empty Houses from Samantha Schwebling. And uh, she's an Argentinian writer. But I, she, she won the National Book Award for Translated Literature, but we share the same agent. And then I read it and I'm loving it. Uh, the last book that I read, and I'm pretty sure that is in Canada, is Trust, the Hernan Diaz. And it's one of my favorite books from 2022. Uh, it's a little acrobatic, like a literary acrobatic, but I love, love the book. and. Uh, I think he's a great writer. Into the Distance is his first novel that is one of the best that I read too. Uh, what another book. I am a, 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 you know, I try to read all these books that they are like, a, they are literary, but at the same time, they can sell a lot. And, and how a book that sometimes is difficult can communicate with a different, with a big audience. And that I read last year because I was late, late on the game, the three books of Hania uh, Janahihara, I suppose it's in Canada too. It's a little life that I have been sold like a, over a million copies. Her first books is the people in the trees that I hate. And the last one is to paradise that is a brilliant book. But you know her famous book is a little life. It's a it's a really hard book. It's a, a it's painful, but they are multiple. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. Armando, did you read of women and salt? Because there are some similarities with the no, intergenerational. No, I yeah. Okay, I would recommend you read it no. now. <laughs> okay, I will go back to the audience. Uh, we have a question from Esther. Historical fiction is my favorite genre, and it is someone with your passion for writing is something I really appreciate. So she wants to say a big thank you to you, Armando. I, I uh, say it again. Uh, she is saying that historical fiction is her favorite genre, and she's really uh, appreciative of hearing from someone like you oh, yeah, yeah. for today's thank event. So it's a big thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we have a question that is, do you know how many of the American doctors who dealt with eugenics were originally Nazi doctors from Germany? Oh, in, in, no, in Germany, you know, the, the, the team in Pasadena, it was 12 doctors and two of them uh, wrote the book. And the book, it was part of the, you know, the, the pre-med and medical school in U.S., during the 20s and 30s. And then it was in UK too. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I am not 
saying that we have to eliminate this kind of book. You know, I, I think this is part of the history. We need to read. Uh, we need to read them, and we need to know that they existed. And 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 because we are taking some part of this study only related to the race, but there are medical books very important in another you know part of the investigation about uh, genes and different things. You know, they were genius, but at the same time they were monster because. You know, it, it, it was at the beginning of the 20th century, most of the doctors think that uh, race, it was a mistake. And mixing races, it was a mistake. It was part of the, most of the constitution in some of the country, you know. So there is a little bit of a debate I came across, Armando, um, for right now, because of all the advances in technology and science, um, a fear a little bit amongst uh, professionals. Uh, are we going to repeat mistakes from the past? Are we aborting embryos because we don't think they will be perfect? Have, have, did you come across that a little bit? Remember that um, I have my three children via IVF. And, and if you read in search of Emma, that is in English now, uh, I am saying that life started when when you are creating an embryo, you know. But at the same time, you know, I am uh, pro-choice by far. But when you are creating your child, the moment that, it, it, you know, it happened, the, the magic that with the sperm and the eggs, and you create the embryo, and the embryo divide in four cells, and then in eight and 16, uh, when I was writing, I was explaining that I was like, and some people say, oh my God, then you are pro-life. No, no, I am pro-choice. But uh, for me, it's important to understand. And uh, that that's the reason that I created my children in California. In California, the law said that the most important part of this creation of the parent is the intended parents. You can be a mother, you can be a father, and you can you can abandon your child or give it for adoption. Or, but if you have the intention to be a father, that's you know you are protected by the law. And we were intended parents, and the surrogate mother that she's not part of the DNA of my child is only you know the carrier. Uh, she doesn't have the intention to be a mother, even the official in the. The birth certificate is said mother, you know, the surrogate, and you have to eliminate it. And because the intended part is the most important part. And to, then it's applied to the embryos too. You know, if you are intended to be a child and you're intended to be a parent of this child, then there is a life. Until you are not, you're not intended to have it, there is no life there. No? They are simple cells. Yeah. This is a big debate and, 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 and I love when I work with the egg donor, for example, uh, the, uh, she feel like a donor, like, uh, you know, sometimes people need my egg to have a child. Some people need a part of my, uh, one of my kidney to survive. When she explained that, and I very sensitive with worth, I was in love with her immediately. <laughs> I need to work with her, you know. Some people decided if she's tall, if she have this kind of her, or she's smart or not smart, you know. When she wrote that letter to me, I was in love immediately. 
Thank you so much, Armando, uh, for spending a, an hour with us. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with you, and I believe our audience did also, hearing a lot more about what inspired you and uh, your history, the, the amount of research you do. So everyone, please read The Night Travelers by Armando Lucas Correa. Uh, thank you very much. And I, I, I want to say that Canada is very special for me because when I published my first novel, The German Girl, Canada was the first country that made The German Girl in a bestseller. The second one was Australia and then United States. I hope I can present in person soon The Night Traveler with you guys. And, you know, I love Canada. Hopefully, maybe when your next novel is out, we can have you in person. <laughs> Thank you so much, Armando. Thank you, everyone. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.